name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Point, if we haven't met. And today we are on this Labor Day weekend, and I really hope that at some point this weekend you get some time to to pause, to chill, to rest, to re-energize. Um, hopefully that'll happen. Uh, but as we gather together today, uh, we are wrapping up our series, Rhythm, Spiritual Practices for Progressive Christians. And so today, what I want to do is kind of just reflect on where we've been and offer some concluding thoughts. Now, not, not concluding as in we've got it all figured out. We've gone over everything we can go over. That's just not true. But concluding in the sense of this particular time that we're spending thinking about this and wrestling with this, um, that's coming to an end. And so I just want to offer some concluding thoughts. I want to remind you that what we've been talking about in this series is that spiritual practices um, exist not, not to be these things we check off and sort of uh, our relationship with the divine or our relationship with ourselves or our, our goal, our journey, the transformation. They're not just these things we do so that we can say we've done them. They're hopefully things that have meaning to us. And so we've been talking about how spiritual practices are really about opening and enlarging the heart. What is it that makes my heart feel like it's more expansive than it was before? What is it that if we think about the, the movie, How the Grinch Sold Christmas, what is it that grows our heart three sizes? What is it that opens us up and compassion and generosity to the people around us. That's a spiritual practice worth pursuing. What is it that expands our awareness? What is it that makes us aware of something, um, whether that has to do with the divine, whether it has to do with ourselves, or our neighbor, or our enemy? What, what is it that makes us aware in ways that we haven't been aware of before? Is it putting your feet where the sand and the water meet uh, in the ocean? Is it a sunset? Is it playing with kids or taking the dog for a walk or cooking a good meal? What is it that it just expands or sitting down with friends and sharing a good meal? It's one of my favorite things of all time, sitting down with friends and sharing a meal. What is it that opens you up in that way, expands your awareness? And then what is it that invites us to be transformed? Life is about this journey of transformation. It's about becoming. Um, what is it that helps us become the next best version of ourselves, the next best? What is it that helps us move forward? All of that can be a spiritual practice, whether it's mentioned in the Bible or in a book on spiritual practices, it doesn't matter. What matters is any, anything that you engage in that helps open you up in that way, that helps expand your awareness, that helps you take the right step for you to, on the journey of transformation, the right next step, um, all of that is a gift that is to be received and enjoyed and pursued. And um, there is no list, right? We've covered things in this series. We're going to talk about some stuff today. There is no list that you should be checking off. It really is about what inspires you, what opens you up, what is particular to you that helps you um, experience transformation. And today I want to talk a little bit about, um, there's this thing my kids are saying a lot lately. Uh, and that is if there have been like, Two nanoseconds or zeptoseconds, I think that's a, like the shortest time unit. If there's this, any downtime, any little lag in activity, they'll say, I'm bored. Anybody else have that going on? Anybody else struggle with that? I, I, can, I can be that in that mode a little bit myself. Like I'm so used to being constantly active and so much going on that sometimes if I just am chilled for a minute, there's a certain amount of like, oh, wow, this is just boring. Because ordinary feels boring sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, that's why it's ordinary. We're so used to it. We're so aware of it. We know how it works. It's just ordinary. I think that's why we like times that are extraordinary. Um, I wonder, um, and you can just drop it in the chat and let us know, but 
I wonder how many of you are like me and you have fully entered your pumpkin spice era. Because that, as we sit, I, I had a pumpkin spice beverage today. I will probably have one tomorrow. I'll probably have one until Halloween is over. I'm in my pumpkin spice era. And I, I love this time of year. I love when we're moving into Halloween. Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. It's so much fun. And we have Thanksgiving and we have Christmas. There's just a lot of extraordinary time that's coming up. And yet most of our lives are not lived in the extraordinary. Most of our lives are lived in the ordinary. Um, and we often wait for and orient our lives around those moments that transcend the ordinary that make us feel like we're somehow outside of the ordinary, but, but life, life proper life happens in the ordinary. There's a story in the Jewish scriptures about a guy named Jacob. This guy named Jacob has a twin brother named Esau. Uh, Esau was born first. And Jacob came out grasping his heel. Uh, and Jacob sort of uh, has this kind of this, this idea of grasping his heel is uh, a metaphor for how Jacob and Esau's life together will go. Jacob is always grasping at Esau. He's the younger. Esau gets the benefits uh, in this particular culture of being the older brother, which means double the inheritance. It means more privilege uh, than Jacob will have. And so Jacob has spent his, spends his life scheming how to get what Esau has. Um, Jacob's name has this connotation to it of being a trickster. And so uh, Jacob, when we meet him in this particular story in Genesis 28, Jacob is on the run because Jacob, with the help of his mom, uh, hatched a plan to steal Esau's birthright blessing. And the way he's done this is Esau is quite a hairy individual, uh, apparently, which I, I think is fantastic. It's just great that the Bible decides to mention it, right? And so uh, he, uh, Jacob puts on some goat skin with hair and pretends to be Esau and uh, cooks his father a meal and his father blesses him. And so Jacob gets the blessing. And now Esau, Jacob discovers Esau has been saying that when their father passes away and the morning days are over, that Esau is going to kill his brother Jacob. And so Jacob, his mom sends him to live with her brother Laban. Now, this is quite the story. I mean, this is this is quite the tale. Um, and so in Genesis 28, Jacob is essentially on the run. And in verse 10, here's where the story picks up. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he said, this pillow feels like a rock. Sorry, that's a dad joke. Um, and he, he, he dreamed uh, on his really uncomfortable pillow. He dreams that there's a stairway set up on the earth and the top of it reaches to heaven. And angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him. So in this dream, there's this stairway to heaven and there are angels coming and going up and down the stairway. And Jacob looks over and God is standing right beside him. God says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the, east, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I mean, this is kind of a revolutionary idea. This God transcends geography. This God transcends the borders. When you leave this God's territory, this God goes with you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not 
know it. What I love about Jacob's experience here is it does not lead him to conclude, I was having a, I was having a, a nap, I was having a little sleep, and God showed up. That's not what he concludes. He concludes that God was always here. He learns what uh, Moses will find out in the next book, that the ground has always been holy, that this has always been the case. I just wasn't aware of it. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. Uh, This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel or Beit El, which means house of God. Jacob has this dream and he realizes that God has always been in this place and he is just coming to terms with an awareness of it. And he takes this stone and sits it up and pours some oil on it as a way of commemorating, of acknowledging, so that when people pass by, they're going to also see something happened here. Something was transformed here. Something was changed here. This is a meaningful place. Now, where is this place, by the way? Where does it occur? Um, well, we could say it's this place called uh, uh, between Beersheba and Haran, right? This is a place now called Bethel. But, but when the story begins, where is this place? It just says he reached a certain place. It's not a temple. It's not a ground known to be holy ground. It is not a place people go looking for these kind of experiences. It's just a place. It's any old place. It's every place. It's no place. It's, it's just a place. And it's at this place where something happens. It's not a significant place. Uh, Jacob doesn't go to the place expecting anything. And yet it's in this place that's just kind of ordinary. There's something extraordinary happens. It's sort of what happens like when you're in the grocery store. You're not, I don't know if you're like me, if you're in the grocery store. Is anybody even going to the grocery store now? Or are we all doing the order thing where they bring to your house? Uh, but let's say you're in the grocery store and you're just pushing your cart down the aisles and you're getting bags of chips and cheese and flour and you're, you're just doing the Like we don't expect something significant to happen. Like you don't expect an epiphany, an aha moment to happen in the bakery baking aisle. It's just not what we go into the grocery store expecting, or it's like being in the line waiting for school to dismiss. So you can pick your kids up from school and expecting something significant to happen in that place. It's, it's, it's like being in the waiting room at the dentist office and having some sort of aha moment where you realize the ground has been holy and the divine has always been in that dentist's office. You just weren't aware of it. That's the kind of place Jacob's in. He's in no place. He's in every place. He's in any place. It's just a place. And yet something significant happens. He has this dream. And in this dream, he's going to have a large family that's going to spread to the east, northwest, east, south, and the entirety of humanity is going to be blessed by this family. And again, Jacob doesn't use the language like God, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here and God showed up. I, I brought God with me or somehow I conjured up God. I did all the right things. I got all the, the, the dials dialed into the right level and God somehow showed up. Jacob says, God was here all along. I didn't see it. I just didn't see it. And if God was here all along, my assumption would be if God has been here all along and I didn't know it, where else has God been all along? And I didn't know it. Jacob became aware in this moment of something that has always been true, that God was always present, that we actually live in a God-soaked world, 
what Jacob lacked was a kind of awareness. And this isn't an isolated incident, right? With Moses, he's doing some chores and he realizes the ground is holy. With Peter and Andrew and James and John, they are mending their fishing nets after a night of fishing. And they realize that this itinerant preacher walking by them is someone and something worth following and leaving everything else behind to be a part of. There are these moments that just catch our curiosity, as Stan talked about last week, these moments that that get our attention and like jar us awake, that in the absolute ordinary, we begin to realize that that what's going on around us is anything but. That in the moments that feel like the, we're doing the things we do, like the, the fishermen just doing what fishermen do, and something extraordinary happens. All of these moments, I mean, if you look at from top to bottom in scripture, all of these stories, right? All of these stories that that happen, all these stories that capture our imagination are actually, they take place in, in remarkably often, remarkably ordinary circumstances. It's in the remarkable, or it's in the non-remarkable that something remarkable happens. Um, not when people are walking and prepared for it. Um, put it like this, um, ordinary moments that seem anything but significant are often brimming with remarkability. They're brimming with something special and unique and transformative. All the ordinary moments. So what are some things we can do um, as we just think about how we uh, try to stay open and enlarged and aware? What are some things we do? I want to offer just a few things. First, we really would really benefit us to practice hearness. And what I mean by hearness is, is that the only place we really can ever be is right here. Now, uh, I spend a lot of my time. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 7. And so I could literally be in the middle of something fun, start getting sad because I know that at some point the something fun is going to end and start in my brain hatching the next something fun, right? I'm not here. I'm not enjoying the something fun. I'm just scheming to get to the next something fun. Or maybe it's what we often do, which is get stuck in the past and just constantly be living behind us and living in regret and guilt and shame and all the things that have came before. We just get so trapped and stuck in what we should have done, could have done differently. And so we're living back there. We're living in the past. We're living in the future. And maybe we're living in the future in different ways. Maybe we're, we're so consumed with what might happen that it sort of knocks us out of being present in the moment. But here, here, here here really is the only place we can ever be. We have not been given the ability of time travel yet, uh, (laughs) yet as if that's going to happen at some point in the near future. Um, And so being here, being here is where we get to be. So what if we practice here-ness? What if we made it our focus and our attention and our intention to, to wherever we are, whomever we're with, whatever the moment is, to try to really dial ourselves in and actually be there. I think hereness is a spiritual practice. When we focus ourselves on being here, it opens us up to the possibility and potential of the moments that so often have passed us by, right? How many people had walked by the spot where Jacob ended up taking that that nap? How many people had been there and had never 
pause and realize that how many people had walked by the bush Moses noticed in his curiosity that was on fire. How many people have been through that aisle in the grocery store? How many people have been through that place and they've never noticed it? But if we, if we focus ourselves and show up with hearness and be in presence, then it does something. It creates a possibility for us to engage in another level of the moment, of the, another level of meaning, another level of reality. And then two, I think goes with this, and we've talked about this again and again, but really focusing on practicing awareness in whatever context we find ourselves in. There's a story about a guy named Nicholas Herman, uh, who is better known as Brother Lawrence, uh, if you've heard that name. He lived in the 1600s in France. Um, in his earlier years, he was a part of the French army. And experiencing the horrors of war caused him to lean back into his religious upbringing. And so he joined a religious order, and his primary job in that religious order was working in the kitchen. And later, uh, as he got a little older, his job became repairing sandals. Now, um, this idea of peeling potatoes and and fixing sandals, uh, if you were to think about those particular roles, um, would you think that those are places where... uh, you would have a deep experience of the sacred or deep insight in the, would, would those be moments and situations that maybe would give you deep insight into the depths of reality? But, but here's what happened. Brother Lawrence, uh, as he's working in the kitchen and as he's repairing sandals, he develops this reputation of being a person who is at profound peace and visitors would actually come and seek spiritual guidance from him. I and mean, can you imagine the people who occupied uh, the offices that expect that sort of thing, like the leaders and the people who are talking and preaching and teaching and doing all those things, but they're not coming to see those people. They're coming to see Brother Lawrence, who has developed this profound sense of peace about himself. And actually, he ends up in conversations with people through letters, and those letters end up being collected into a volume called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's Brother Lawrence who through um, being fully present, cultivating an awareness as he worked in his daily tasks, that actually he becomes this reservoir of peace and this person that people want to talk to because they had this sense that he, he's doing something we're not doing. I think about that often when I think about like how can work, how can creativity become spiritual practices for us? How could it be possible that even if we're engaged in tasks that maybe we would say they don't make me come alive, how can even those tasks help create awareness in us that right here in the midst of the ordinary, something profound and beautiful and extraordinary might be possible? And of course, I think there's a a certain amount of we're, we're being invited to practice intentionality. What Jacob does at the end of this is he takes this stone and he sets it up and he pours oil on top of it. And it's a way of acknowledging this moment, acknowledging the significance of what has happened, acknowledging that this spot, which previously maybe nobody was aware, uh, had any significance. This spot really holds deep significance. I don't know about you. I spend so much of my time moving at the speed of light. It feels like sometimes it's hard to not just bounce from one thing to the next, one experience to the next, one task to the next, one responsibility to the next. And we're just sort of bouncing from one thing to the next until we just sort of collapse at the end of the day. And then we do it all again the next day. What if we started making some intentional decisions that when something happens, 
when we have this sense of the ground is suddenly I'm realizing the ground is holy or suddenly I'm realizing God has been this place all along, or you have that conversation where something, it, it, something happens in you that it unlocks something you've been looking for for a long time, or you have this, uh, this time with a friend and you laugh so hard that your belly hurts and you just need to pause for a moment and say, this, this meant something, this matters. This, this was a holy significant moment. And I want to just acknowledge the gift that it was. How often do we fail to acknowledge the gifts that are right in front of us all the time? And, and by failing to acknowledge them, in some ways, we're failing to receive them. We're failing to receive their fullness. I, I, think, I think intentionality, um, marking these moments, is in itself a spiritual practice. I think it's a way of saying this mattered. This was holy. This was significant. A lot of people do this in really interesting ways. Some of us get tattoos, right? As a way of remembering something or someone that had a, a serious impact on us. Sometimes people create things. They write music. They create paintings. They create a meal. Some people journal. Um, some, some people uh, probably do uh, underwater basket. Weave. People do things. And those th- that it's sort of a response to what they've experienced. And so here's what I'd like to encourage you to do is we're um, winding this series down. And it's, it's for many of us, a long weekend. You have an extra day tomorrow. Let's just try to walk without, uh, let's, try, let's try to walk through these next couple of days with some focus and intention. Let's just try to be aware. What is it in your life right now that needs to be intentionally marked and remembered? Because something happened, you you knew you learned something new about yourself. You learned something new about someone you care about. You learned something new about the divine. It's making you a different person, and you just need to acknowledge it. You were given a gift of some sort through an experience. Through a, you just need to mark and acknowledge it. What what if we were to say over these next couple of days, we're going to take everything we've talked about in this series, um, both the things that we've you know we've known about like whatever these practices are that have been meaningful. Maybe it's prayer, meditation, silence. Maybe it's ritual. Maybe it's focusing on experience. But whatever these gifts to you, whatever these practices are that work for you, and maybe finding a way over the next couple of days just to maybe sit down with some intentionality and just remember. Remember the gifts you've been given. Remember the lives that have impacted yours. Remember the, the ground beneath your feet. Maybe let's take some time to just dial ourselves in to this intentional practice of expressing gratitude, of acknowledging, of making space. Because everything Jacob does from this point on is born out of this moment in this experience. It mattered. And these moments and experience matter in our own lives and they shape us and they have the potential and capacity to be part of our transformation. If we're paying attention, if we're, if we're dialing in, if we're focusing, if we're living with an awareness, if we're practicing hearness. One of my favorite lines in the Christmas story, I don't know, I'm not trying to rush the season. I'm in my pumpkin spice area, you'll recall. Um, but one of my favorite lines in the Christmas story is in Luke's gospel, where it says, after the shepherds came to visit and all the things happened, that Mary just, Mary treasured these things in her heart. Like she's taking mental photographs. She's She's not just letting the moment go. She's being present in it. She's being here in it. It's creating an awareness in her. 
And then with some intentionality, she's marking that moment. What moments do we need to mark? What moments do you need to mark? What kind of spiritual practices? Maybe some that we've covered, maybe some that we haven't, but just in your bones, you intuit, this would be a practice for me. What are some practices that would help us uh, practice this kind of intentionality? And as we do that, as our heart becomes more expanded and expansive and open, as our awareness is dialed in and focused, and as we are invited to just take the next step on the journey of transformation, like that's the point of the whole journey. Hopefully um, you found some new ideas and maybe reframed some old ideas. And, and But I bet there are things you know and you feel, as, like I said, in your bones that you know would be helpful for you. So whatever those are, let's let's embrace them. Let's use them as long as they're helpful. And then if they cease to be helpful, we go and find something else because that's what the journey is about. It's about moving forward. It's about finding what helps us, what opens us up, what brings transformation and what, what makes that possible in our own life and journey. Thanks for being with us again, Grace Point. We love you. We're grateful for you. We'll see you back next Sunday.